You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the LA International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in LA since 1989. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing this morning? My name is Chaz Zenteno, and the title of today's lesson is Spiritual Ownership. You may wonder, who are these dirty-faced men on the cover slide here? And if you do know, if you understand this reference, keep it to yourself, because it's going to come into play a little bit later here. You know, I love watching TED Talks. And if you're like, what? why is he talking? What is a TED Talk? So TED is this conference... Uh, about technology, entertainment, and design, TED, uh, that basically they, they bring in these expert speakers to do these 20-minute presentations on some of the most cutting-edge discoveries, topics kind of in their field. And so you can watch these TED Talks, and they vary on, on all kinds of things, but they're so powerful because they're cramming kind of so much information, so much impact into just like 15 to 20 minutes. And so I was on... YouTube the other day, where you can find like millions of TED Talks and be lost for hours. And I was watching this TED Talk given by this former Navy SEAL team leader. Stuff like that. I'm a man. You know, whenever you throw a Navy SEAL into the mix, it just makes things really interesting. Right? A couple, what was it? Someone like LeBron was training with a Navy SEAL. It was in the news the other day. Everyone jumped on it. Like, oh, so cool. And so I started watching this video, and he, he started to tell this story. And the video is like 13 minutes long, so I, I was just going to give you guys a quick recap. But he starts telling the story of when he was in the SEAL teams, and, and he was in Ramadi during, in Afghanistan, or Ramadi, Iraq, during the height of the insurgency years ago. And he starts telling the story of this mission that he was in command of where they were going in, and and it was a mission, it was fairly complicated. There were friendly Iraqi forces as a part of this mission. There were U.S. Army forces a part of this mission. U.S. Marines a part of this mission, along with different elements, different members of his SEAL teams kind of mixed into this whole thing, and they were going into this certain part of the city. And he tells the story that, you know, the mission was underway and the fog of war rolled in. And this enormous firefight broke out during his mission. And it wasn't them against crazy insurgents, crazy terrorist forces. It was a friendly firefight between his own forces. And at the end, when kind of the dust had settled, one of these Iraqi soldiers, one of the friendly Iraqi soldiers had been killed. Numerous men were wounded or injured, and one of his seals was injured also. And so a report of this mission went all the way up the chain of command once they got back to base. And he got a message that the master chief, an investi- military investigator, and his senior officer were all coming to the base, and that he had to prepare a debrief on what went wrong. And he details how I knew what this meant. This meant someone had to take the blame. That they were asking me whose fault this was. Someone had to get fired. Someone had to face the chopping block. 
And he says, so I sat down and I started writing my report. And I started detailing every point of failure. Every single one of the soldiers who made a mistake. This formation over here. This lack of communication. He goes, and I'm sitting here and I'm trying to figure out who is to blame. Because there was a lot to go around. And he says, I was standing outside of my meeting. Ten minutes before I was supposed to give my report to all my senior officers when it hit me. I knew who was to blame. And so he goes into the debrief. He's got his senior officer, the master chief, the military investigator, all in front of him. All of his men sitting behind them, including his injured seal, all these, all of his soldiers. And he says, whose fault was this? And one by one, his seals started to raise their hand. Commander, it was my fault. I didn't properly communicate fast enough what was happening on the battlefield. And because of that, men didn't get to their positions in time. This was my fault. He said, no, it wasn't your fault. One of his other seals raised the hand said, Commander, it was my fault. I did not keep a handle properly on the men who were within my platoon, these Iraqi forces. I did not give them sharp enough direction, detailed instruction. I wasn't following up with them to keep them on the same line. And because of that, they got out of position and out of hand. This was my fault. He goes, no, it wasn't your fault. Finally, one of his seals raised his hand. He goes, boss, this was my fault. I didn't properly identify my target. And I shot and killed that friendly Iraqi soldier. This is my fault. And he said, no, it wasn't your fault either. He said, there's only one person whose fault this was. It was my fault. He said, I am the commanding officer. I am the senior man on the battlefield. Everything that happens on this battlefield is my responsibility. This was my fault. And he went on to detail the new tactics that they were going to put into place, these new drills, all of these solutions, so that this was never going to happen again. And he fully expected to lose his command and be fired right there. When the reality was his commanding officers were so impressed because they had expected so many excuses and so many fingers pointed at different people whose fault it was and so much blame to be shifted that when he took responsibility, they were blown away. And they trusted him with even more responsibility. And I sat here listening to this story that he called extreme ownership. And I realized, man, this was a cutting-edge story to the world. This idea of taking responsibility in your life. And I thought, wow, this has incredible spiritual implications. When I thought about spiritual ownership. You know, if we want to be a people who follow God and have incredible impact... This has got to become something that individually and as a culture, we must become excellent at. Taking 
spiritual ownership. And this starts, if you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 32, with taking ownership of yourself. In Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 1, The Bible reads, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your son, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fastening it with a tool, fashioning it. They then said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. This is this incredible story in the Old Testament where Moses goes up to the mountain to be with God and to receive the Ten Commandments. Right, He's up there. God is showing him all kinds of things, carving the tablets, giving him the Word of God, all of this incredible stuff. And you would think, man, this would have been one of the most influential, powerful moments in the whole history of God's people when God gave them the law. And he told everyone, hey, I'm going up to the mountain. I'm going to go and be with God and get the law. And everyone's like, yeah, this is great. And he was up there for like a while. And that's where in the story, right, we kind of see something start to shift. Where the people get so kind of tired of waiting for Moses, they turn to his brother Aaron and they go, dude, you need to make gods for us. Who brought it? And we'll just, we'll kind of forget about God and we'll just pretend like this golden calf thing brought us up out of Egypt and did all these miracles and we'll just worship this thing. We want something to worship. So Aaron just goes for it. So Moses is up on the mountain having this incredible experience with God when God says, look, hold up. You actually, you need to go back. They're freaking out. They're doing all kinds of weird stuff down there. They're worshiping some kind of golden calf thing. You need to go down and take charge of this situation. And so Moses gets some instructions from God because initially God said, hey, hold up. You need, actually need to stay here. I'm just going to obliterate everybody and you just you and I will start over. And that kind of freaked Moses out. He goes, well, hold up, hold up. Let me go talk to everybody first. Let me just go see what I can do. So he goes down, and we actually pick up in verse 21. When Moses gets to the bottom of the mountain, he sees what's going on. And he turns to Aaron. And he said to Aaron, verse 21, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone to evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whatever gold jewelry you have, take it off. Then they gave me the gold. I just threw it in the fire and out came this calf. 
there ever, ever like a teenage response? I mean, I just, just threw it in there and out came this cat. <laughs> Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. Right? And the Bible can't be funny. Right? This is an, I find this hilarious in its seriousness. That in all of this sin, in all of the crazy, Aaron has the audacity to say, well, well I, mean, I mean, you know how those people are. They're so sinful. I mean, they just asked me for gold. I can't get over it. And I just threw it in the fire. And some magical thing happened, and out came this calf that was fashioned by a tool that I don't have. That I used to make the calf. What? What? Right, and we look at this story, and this is like a case study in how to not take ownership. Aaron sits up in here, takes no responsibility for his sin, takes no responsibility for what's going on, just just points the finger and blames and makes excuses. And you look, well, okay, well, how, but how did he get to this? I mean, this was Aaron. This would have been the, this was the guy left in charge by Moses. This guy should have been like airtight. But when you look at what happened here, Aaron was waiting for Moses to come back and take ownership. And when that didn't happen, he waited for the people to come to him to take ownership. And even though they took it in a wrong direction, they took so much more responsibility over their worship of God than even he did. Again, in the wrong direction, 100%, but way more ownership. They confronted him and pushed him. He was tossed back and forth by all of these different attitudes, blaming and making excuses. Aaron was so passive in waiting for other people to take ownership of him and what he should do. And I thought, man, that can completely be us sometimes, can it? Just kind of passive, waiting for other people to take ownership of us. I thought about whether you know, you're visiting with us for the first time and maybe you've been waiting for the perfect church experience before you go all in on God. Like, well, I'm going to wait for the perfect church to just come to me where the people are just amazing and the worship and the lesson and the, and the signage and the, the connection card and maybe I get donut. When I find that perfect thing, wow, then I'm really going to go all in on God. And you're waiting for it to come to you. Right? Or whether we wait... For other people to come to us when it comes to our mentoring or discipling relationships. The people who are trying to help us to become more like Jesus. Someone asks you, wow, how's that going? I don't know, brother hasn't called me. <laughs> oh, wow, how long's it been? Six months. Oh, yeah, how's that going? I, I don't know, I haven't heard from him. Or whether we're waiting for someone else, you know, to pry and to pull it out of us, to pull teeth, 
before you know, we'll get open about what's really happening in our lives. There's a sense of, well, how are you doing? Good. But until someone sits down with you and, oh man, so how, I've just been you know, really praying about you. How's it? Well, I mean, if you ask, things have been rough, right? And then we come out with it. Or what's really happening in our lives. We wait for someone to beg us before we're willing to volunteer for a kid's kingdom. Or before we're willing to volunteer for the Harvest Festival. Or willing to volunteer for the church setup. Right? And we all kind of, you start squirming a little bit here, because we all know when these things get asked about, there's kind of a sense of, well, I'm just going to like, it's like a T-Rex. If you don't move, they don't see you. Can I get a raise of hands? And you're just, just be still. Jurassic World is coming out. I saw this. There's something wrong with that. When someone has to beg and pry and pull and fight to get us to take responsibility. And I thought, man, why is that? That's because taking ownership is hard. It is. Taking responsibility is just plain hard. It actually requires you to be the aggressor or the initiator. To maybe call someone and set something up instead of waiting for it to come to you. It requires us to be humble, maybe beyond what you're comfortable with. And I love that when we talk about humility, because it's it's we we can be very good at being humble and consider like, wow, you know, I've really grown in my humility. Up to like right here. Right? Like, wow, you've really grown in your humility. Thanks, but don't ask me about that. Don't go over here, because I, I'm really humble to right here. Like, arm's distance, you know, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. But if you go beyond that, oh, I better have a really good time with God that day. Right? It requires us to be humble. It requires us to value what is true and what is right before God versus what we want to be right and what we want to be perceived at by everyone else. All of us have this feeling. Right? And can you imagine how different this story would have been if Moses came down the mountain, right, indignant, and he said, Aaron, what did these people do to you? And Aaron said, Wow. I blew it. I'm sorry. You know what? I was so insecure. I was so concerned because I hadn't seen you or heard from you. I got so fearful that when they asked me about this, I just panicked. And I totally blew it. And I did. I made this. They brought me the gold. I mean, I carved this with my hand. I knew it was wrong. And I did it anyway because I was so afraid of letting everyone down. I'm sorry. Wow, how different. That whole flavor of the story would be completely different if Aaron had just owned up and repented and apologized and maybe said, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to apologize to everyone. Can we, can we bring everyone in? I'm going to hold a meeting. I need to apologize. This wasn't right. This wasn't good. But that's hard to own up to. Right? There are situations where we love to take ownership. It's not like they don't exist. 
We actually really do like to take ownership when things are going really well. Right? When you think about that, when your kids are like really excellent and beautiful and well-behaved. Like that. Like Emily in her athletic tracksuit. Right? Now look at that. And to all the parents out here, you know this moment because you go, oh man, that's my daughter. But when she's acting up, you go, your daughter is being crazy. And suddenly it's your spouse's daughter. You're like, that's, honey, your daughter just won't, won't take it easy on me. But when they're like this, we love it. Right? When you get a promotion at work, man, we love to take ownership of that. Wow, you recognize my hard work? Thank you. I do deserve this. You're like, wait a minute. When you have a great season in your marriage, right? When things just seem to be going great, you and your spouse, are, everything is just humming. The bills are going well. Your prayer time together is incredible. You're getting along. You're on the same page. You're growing. It's just, it's incredible, right? We want to take ownership in that time. When you nail your final, whether you're in high school or college, or if you're playing sports and you nail the game-winning shot, if you've been following the NBA playoffs, LeBron has done this like 17 times already in like five games. The game-winning shot. Right? Yeah, we love to take ownership then. We love to take it and take the responsibility. Or maybe you're studying the Bible with one of your friends and they want to get baptized. That's a great feeling. We'd love to take ownership then. But being spiritual and taking spiritual ownership means you take ownership of the good and you take ownership of the bad. And car accidents are a great example. No one wants to take ownership of a car accident. You get bumped and you come out and you're like, are, do, you, do you see the damage? You hit me. Yeah, but do you see the damage? What your car did to me when I hit you? Do you see? I mean, my paint. I don't... This isn't a Sharpie situation. You guys remember those commercials where it was like they got out, he had a key ring of Sharpies and he would get out and just like pencil in where he'd chip the paint. That means we have to take responsibility when things aren't good. When your marriage isn't going well. If you're having difficulty at work or maybe you've lost your job. When you failed a class or a test. When your relationship with God is weak. When there's conflict in your friendships. We have to fight to take ownership even then. When it's difficult. When it's hard to see our responsibility instead of point the finger. We have to fight. Because when we take ownership, not only of our failures, but of the solutions, and that's when growth happens. That's when God starts to radically transform your life. Not when everything is going well, but when you've blown it and you own it. And you can grow and move on. What are we afraid of taking ownership of this morning? In your life, what do you need to take ownership of? What do you need to take responsibility of right now? that maybe you've been shifting the blame or that you've been pointing at someone else. But deep down, you know that one's on you. You know, lately, I've really been wrestling with my anger. I've just been struggling with feeling frustrated and irritable 
And, and the way it comes out is at home. Like I notice it in my patience with Emily. When she's being difficult, it, it just seems like my fuse is like two seconds long. I'm going, why am I so frustrated? Or with Olivia, she'll, she'll do something totally normal that I'll, it'll just hit me sideways and I'm immediately just snappy. I'm going, and I've been sitting down trying to, where is this coming from? Why am I being like this? And I realized that my, my times with God these last couple weeks have just, they've been kind of shallow. That I've been doing kind of the bare minimum to just get by, just to kind of check it off and say like, okay, I spent time with God. Like, yeah, I read my Bible a little bit. I prayed in the car on the way to campus, or I prayed in the car on the way over here, the way to see my family. But I haven't been going deep. I haven't been fighting to connect with God. And as I thought about what, what, what excuses have I been making? Well, I've been making the excuse of, well, well, I mean, in the morning, you know, I get up and, and Emily's awake and I've got to feed her. And, you know, Liv and I are, are doing the, you know, okay, can you hold her? I'll get ready and then I'll hold her. Can you? And in there, you know, man, it's hard to find time to be with God. Or, wow, it's just uh, this week I've just had all morning appointments. Like I'm on campus and this guy can only get together right now. And, oh, oh I've got this girl can only get to. Oh, what am I doing? Okay. Oh, these errands have to. The rest of the day is busy. I've got. And I keep making all these excuses. As if I weren't a grown man capable of carving out time to be with God. And I realize there's no excuse for me not to take ownership of my relationship with God. In Luke chapter 9, in verse 23, in a passage that many of us are familiar with. It says, Then he said to them all, this is Jesus, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Got to take up your cross. And I remember reading this couple days ago and just feeling so convicted like wow when did having a baby suddenly make it impossible for me to take up my cross or why did my schedule or this homework assignment or this test or our job or these whatever circumstance we're kind of wrestling with when did that get in the way and when was that a viable reason to not take responsibility for taking up our crosses daily and following god We've got to be willing to take ownership of your salvation. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Right? I love that. No one is more responsible for my salvation than I am. I can't point the finger at, well, this brother hasn't called me, or, wow, this, this lesson didn't, it didn't hit me in the, I didn't get enough out of it, and, well, Chaz, you know, he didn't, he wasn't vulnerable enough, or he didn't use this example, and I couldn't relate. No, there's no excuse. The most concerned person in this entire room about your salvation needs to be you. 
We've got to take ownership of that. And that leads into your spiritual growth. Right? I love this. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. Right? Paul is writing to Timothy, giving him some instructions. Timothy was a young guy, leading a church of people mostly older than him. Paul writes, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Well, no one's training me. There's no, there's no training group. There, you know, even I love that Hanley's doing a purity group. That is powerful. And that's absolutely critical and incredibly helpful for so many of us. But we also have to take responsibility for our spiritual growth. There can't be a, well, until the purity group comes up, I mean, my purity is just lame, so, bummer. I know you were responsible for that before the group was formed. And you're going to be responsible for it after the group is over. We've got to be responsible for our spiritual growth. Train yourself to be godly. We have the Bible and we have people around us that can help us to grow. We've got to fight for those things. Because when we look at this and we consider, man, when, when you've had a really great person in your life take ownership of you, how much growth did you have? It's like, wow, I, I grew a lot. How much more when that is your greatest concern? Could we possibly grow? How much more could we have incredible conviction? And when we've done all these things, we've got to fight to take ownership of the church. And I want to show this video clip, again, from that opening picture here. It's a pretty iconic clip. If I could get that one more. Oh, there we go. Do I have to hit it again? Okay. I bring a message from your master, Marcus Licinius Crassus, commander of Italy, by command of his most merciful excellency. Your lives are to be spared. Slaves you were, and slaves you remain. But the terrible penalty of crucifixion has been set aside on the single condition that you identify the body or the living person of the slave called Spartacus. As you probably guessed, that's from the movie Spartacus. (laughs) But it's this incredible moment when all hope is lost. And they say, you know, we won't kill and crucify all of you if you'll just hand over one man. The one man who was responsible. 
And the response from all of them is, we are all responsible. I am Spartacus. This is my movement. This was my rebellion. I am a part of this. And I think, how much more do we need to have that attitude when it comes to the kingdom? How much more do we need to have that attitude when it comes to our family, the West Side Church? When I think about and I look around this room and I see how incredible our family is. And I see all the different people that are so integral. When I think of the worship team, when they come up here and volunteer to serve, to get here at like 7 a.m., 6 a.m. to set up the setup crew, to practice, to, to get up here and put themselves on display. For all of us to lead us in worship. That's ownership. They're not paid to do that. They do that voluntarily. When I think of our teen leaders and our mentors, when I think of our staff, when I think of the Kendalls and the Harvest Festival, when I think of our kids' kingdom workers, when I think of those who do communion, the ushers, they do this because this is their church. This is their family. And they own it. Do we own it? Do we feel the burden that, man, this is our kingdom. This is God's kingdom, but He has entrusted it to us. And that when people come and they say, wow, service today was not very good, that that needs to prick us. What? You're talking about my family. You're talking about my church. Because when we don't take ownership of the church, we run the risk of becoming critical. Right? It's easy to sit back and suddenly become like a critic on the voice of the worship team. Or to become a critic of, oh, that lesson was, mm. that communion was sort of impactful. That communion, well, that, that offering was this, or the ushers didn't get here quick enough. Or, right? We can start to suddenly become experts. And critics, when we don't take responsibility, when we don't sit back and ask ourselves, wow, when was the last time I volunteered to do communion? And tell my story. When was the last time I volunteered to come and set up early for church on a Sunday morning? Or when I volunteered to go and to serve the kids in Kids Kingdom instead of just dropping off mine? When was the last time I offered to usher And to make a difference there. To relieve someone else and serve. The church only functions at its peak, at its absolute best, when we all take responsibility for it. When we all feel that weight. And when we all look around the room and go, this is my family. And I take it personally. When things aren't going well, I'm not going to sit back and go, that's not going well. I'm going to ask, hey, what can I do? How can I help? What would it take for me to make a difference? Because we have to believe in the power of one. We have to believe that God can do incredible things through one person who takes ownership. And we see this throughout the Bible. We see Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. One man took ownership of the city. 
We see this with David when he slew Goliath. No one took ownership. David shows up. He goes, what? who's going to get out there and fight this guy? Who is going to remove this disgrace from our nation? Who is he to speak out against our God like that? I will fight him. That comes from having an incredible gratitude for the kingdom. Having an incredible gratitude for what God has given us. Even when we see Isaiah in Isaiah 6, who will go out for us? Here am I. Send me. I will go. I am Spartacus. This is my family. And I want you guys to write down 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 27. I'm not going to read this. I want you to go home today and read this on your own. This is a passage that many of us are familiar with. But we've got to remind ourselves, is this still the attitude of our family, the attitude of our fellowship? And so as we leave today and as we close out, I want to challenge us to take ownership of ourselves. To take ownership of our spirituality, of our relationship with God, of our growth and our salvation. And even more than that, to take responsibility for the kingdom. Let's take responsibility for our family and for our fellowship. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's the lesson for today. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.